0: Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, everyone. It really is a delight to be here. I love you guys and being in uh, this church. I think when Jesus said, Wait, and power is going to come on you from the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He had that guy which... I would love to meet one day and spend a lot of time with Pastor Welly on his mind. He had that little church in a place that's forgotten by the world's media, big events and huge industries on his mind. He had Karunia and her family on his mind as one of those places that his power and transformation will come. I think for Christians who believe that God speaks and acts today, the book of Acts is both an exciting and a terrifying book. We see the pace at which when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, at which things accelerate and we are enamoured by the pace and the drama and the excitement and the miracles. And we see unskilled ordinary or unschooled, ordinary people sharing in persuasive and demonstrative ways, so much so that the community remarks how wonderful it is. We see incredible things, like one of my favourites in Acts 8, where Philip hears um, hears the advice or the leading of the Spirit to go down to the chariot, and there he gives a word and he speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch and off goes the gospel into Ethiopia to transform that place and then whatever you make of it Philip disappears and then we see jailbreaks of dramatic import where then the whole not only the jailer but the whole family instead of a suicide, get transformed and become pillars of the Christian community in Philippi. We see all sorts of exciting, dramatic things unfold. And I think for those of us who believe that God speaks and acts today, we find it both exciting and terrifying because it's easy to compare It's easy to compare with some of these stories and think, if my life was like the book of Acts, if my life was like that, then I'd be a real Christian. We carry anxiety that brings comparison and inferiority and immobilization. God hasn't told me, so I won't. I'm doing this in the meantime, Then, if God speaks to me, I will. If only my life was like the book of Acts, but I, insert excuse here, I'm too old, too young, too busy, too tired, too uh, unschooled, too intellectual, too whatever it is, but I, so it's not have you ever heard internally an equation like that? I had the great uh, joy of being with the youth on Friday night. We had this room set up as a simulation activity. There was four tables in here. The the youth from this church joined with the youth from Pentecost Church. They all came together, as they do sometimes. We had about 30 in the room. And there, the task was uh, to see if you could survive in a simulation of poverty to get sort of an experience of the kind of options that people living in extreme poverty face. There was a supermarket at one stand and there was a medical clinic at another, a school over here at another and then the uh, infrastructure, the, the landlord that became increasingly unjust throughout the night was over there at that table and each little small group of teenagers had a small bag of coins and they needed to work out what they would spend their money on and so some of them spent it primarily on food and some realised the benefit of paying for education and so on and so forth. Got to a point in the night where the penny started dropping and one teenager in, the, in a mid-stage debrief says, but I didn't have enough money to buy food. And we talked about the challenge of living in a world where 62 people have the same amount of wealth as half of the world's population. And we lived with the tension of that being unfair, but the gospel being an answer to it. And then we talked about how it's easy for teenagers to have an excuse because the world doesn't expect much right now Of teenagers, right? Teenagers can kind of cruise through life, play a few games, do their schoolwork, try and get a good uh, ATAR, and then life starts. Kind of when you're an adult, when you've got a career, and maybe then you could change the world. That would be such an easy excuse for a teenager to say, well, I'm not grown up yet, therefore I can't change the world. Participate in God's transforming activity around the globe. I couldn't do that because I'm too young. I told a story about a guy called Richmond Wandera who grew up in Uganda, and when he was eight, his father was tragically killed. And so, as the oldest sibling, his job while his mum was out trying to do several jobs to make enough money just to try to sustain the family in some way. His job was to go down to the local tip to collect scraps and so on to try to uh, uh, supplement the family's food source. Over that year, of hanging around the tip, there's a lot of mosquitoes. He had no um, access to medicine or anything. He became quite sick. Actually, he got malaria eight times in 12 months. And it's miraculous that he didn't die. Then I told the next part of that story, where Compassion partnered with a local church near that rubbish dump and Richmond, Wandera. Was uh, he was enrolled into that program? He not only got food support and needed and stopped having to worry about being the provider for his siblings. He also managed to get education support and no longer did they have to pay to go to school but school was provided and he not only got the outside transformation but also the inside transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ the inner transformation and the outer work helped him to as he worked hard grow up and first became an accountant then sensed the call of God vocationally to uh, become a minister, and so he went to theological school, and then he became the pastor of a church. As he looked around at his peers, he realized that many of them lacked the same kind of formation that he 'd had access to through the support of the local church as a sponsor uh, as he was sponsored when he was growing up. and so he started a support and formation network for pastors in Uganda today: six thousand eight hundred. Pastors in Uganda are supported through this network. Here's the other side of the story. The other side of the story is that a girl who is 15 years old heard about the opportunity to sponsor children through compassion and she said, I can't do much to change the world as a 15-year-old, but I think I could pick up enough babysitting to get $48 a month to sponsor a child, and so she did. And the child that she sponsored was Richmond Wandera. And today, on the earth, in Uganda alone, 6,800 pastors are impacted through his work because of a teenager. It's easy to have excuses, I'm not, if only, what about, without stepping in to the opportunities God has in front of. Of us. So what I've done, if you're taking notes, take this down. <laughs> what I've done is I've had a look at the book of Acts and all the decisions that I can find that needed to be made in that book that Luke records. Decisions like, who are we going to appoint as the 12th disciple now that one, and one is well and truly gone rogue. Things like, what should we do in response to the threats about continuing to preach at the temple? What should we do about that? Decisions like, where should we go next and how should we go about it? And to the best of my ability, I've counted 119 decisions which Luke records Because I think we look at the Bible, the book of Acts, through kind of rose-coloured glasses, and we're so enamoured by the adventure, we're so enamoured by the power of the Spirit, we're so enamoured by the drama and the excitement of what happens in that book, that we very quickly think, well, I can't do that. My life doesn't match up. Therefore, I won't. I asked the group in the 8 o'clock and they knew they were being set up so no one was brave enough to answer. But just internally, have a think about it. And if you were to think, divide those 127 decisions that you've read in the book of Acts, divide them from uh, supernaturally directed decisions and wisdom and common sense kind of decisions. Like what you and I did when we came here this morning, just a wise and common sense decision. We've heard Craig's here, we better come. Or something like that. (laughs) Which way do you think it would swing in balance? Because I can tell you, in my mind, the balance is, it was all so supernaturally directed, so God-filled. I could never live up to that. Let's have a look at the pie chart. And my perception would be that that big orange part is the divine direction, the spirit filled. But actually, it goes the other way around because by my approximation, 23% of the decisions that are made in the book of Acts are supernaturally directed. And the rest, the other 77%, are ones where they make wise and common sense decisions. Think of the Jerusalem Council. What well, seems good to us to go this way. Think about the blow up about, between Paul and Barnabas about um, John Mark and the decision just to go separate ways. Think about all of those kind of things, wrap it up and then have a look at this in contrast to your life. I shared this one time with a a person who had adult children. Oh, the terror of it. My eldest is 19. My youngest is 12. Zach, my 14-year-old, is here today and he'll be behind the compassion table. His father said, well, that probably adds up. He said, my children are growing up and they've built the values of our family into their lives, and most of the time, and I'd even hazard to say three-quarters of the time, they just make wise, common-sense decisions, and I think go for it. But he said, there are times, and maybe one in four, where I need to tap them on the shoulder and say to them, hey, you know what, I've got a little bit more life experience than you. I can see a bigger picture than you, and I probably know what's around that corner if you went that way. And I would like to encourage you, go that way. He said, that sounds like the heart of a good father. You can tell from the impact. This is one of my favourite stories about uh, compassion partnerships at the moment. This is a farmer from Togo. And Togo, as is many countries, is in a grip right now of the global food crisis, which have had a range of things conflate to become a situation where Global poverty is increasing again for the first time since when I was in high school, just down the road. This farmer described his, uh, described his headspace recently like this. He said, If you were to cut open my heart, in it you would find joy only because his local church, I just think it's a great statement, his local church got behind him in helping him replant crops and support with agriculture and in his family, with training agricultural supplies and technical support, which meant he was actually able to plant crops just this last season gone, but also that it resulted in an 18% increase in farm production. What did he do with it? Well, he gave it to the church and ensured the, the, the bonus to the church and ensured the cycle of generosity would in, uh, continue. Isn't that what the gospel does? It brings a transforming impact not only to one life, but overflowing to life. Independent research about the compassion program shows that children are more likely to... Uh, up to 40% more likely to finish secondary school, up to 80% more likely to finish university, and my favourite one, up to 85% more likely to become community leaders. Because the gospel transforms our life but can't stay just in us. It's got to go on and flow on. Now, here's what I'd be curious about some kind of study that could track back to find why did people engage with partnering with a sponsorship? Why did that church community engage with supporting an agriculture program? Was it spirit-led? Did God turn up and say, do it? Or was it something where they say, this makes sense for my life and my heart? And my guess, anecdotally... From what I see in different churches and I talk to people at our table out the back when people are considering becoming sponsors, my thought is it's probably about three quarters one way and one quarter the other. I hope it's a liberating truth to consider that not always is everything divinely directed quite in the way that we imagine. In fact... My favourite part of the book of Acts now is Acts 27-28 when Paul's situation goes from crisis to catastrophe, the shipwreck. Paul's on a ship and he's travelling off to Rome, he's in chains and he's a prisoner for the gospel. The winds rise, a massive storm comes that's unseasonal, unseasonal at that time of year. Some way, maybe just by force of character, Paul manages in that crisis to get unlocked from his chains and essentially take charge of the situation so that no lives are lost. They're washed ashore on Malta. You know the story. By that stage, if it were me, that's when I'd be signing up for counselling. Paul doesn't take that option. He's out in the bushes trying to find some uh, timber to start a fire to get warm and you know the story: a viper attaches itself to his arm, and it's not long before you know they pronounce him that he's going to die. And he says, "Don't worry about that." Shakes it off, and all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing about that for me: that was never in their plans. That wasn't. He wasn't meant to be inverted commas on the boat. He wasn't meant to be inverted commas, on the shore of Malta? At that point, do you twiddle your thumbs? Do you say, well, I'm not meant to be here, so I'll just wait. I'm not meant to be here, so I'll just give up. I'm not meant to be here, so I'm not sure what to do. This story for me is my story. When I was about 10 years old, I got given a book called Through Gates, of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot about a wonderful missionary story from the 1950s. You might have heard of it. And I remember being struck as a 10-year-old about a bunch of people that had given their life for the gospel to go to an unreached people group. And I remember that stirring me. Then in 2010, I had the opportunity to go into Southeast Asia and to meet people cross-culturally, and I remember landing there and thinking, oh, this feels like home, and thinking, God has set up my life from that point to this, the interest, the way I pray, all of that to set me up here. Wisdom wasn't prevailing. My wife at that time was eight months pregnant with our fourth child, and I was over there, ring her up, and said, would it be possible to just pack up the house and come over here because I reckon this is where we're destined to live? I just lost a lot of uh, listeners just then. I can see on some faces, and it's not the blokes. Anyway, that wasn't a wise suggestion, and it didn't follow, but then a couple of years later, we took long service leave, and our family, uh, a whole family came, and and, uh, and I thought, now is the time we're going to be planted in this place where our destiny is going to be unveiled, and sure enough, it wasn't. It didn't work out that way, and it wasn't a fit for the rest of the family, and I had to wrestle with that, uh, wrestle with the tension of going, if only other people agreed, if only I could live over here. If only those signs and wonders and miracles that happen in the book of Acts followed my life dramatically, then I could be a real Christian, but here's where I'm at. I'm living in a nine-to-five world in a suburban context, which is nowhere near as exciting or dramatic as the way I read the book of Acts. The very next year. I'm in Ethiopia, and I have told this story before, but just really quickly. I'm in Ethiopia in a little Bible college, thinking that I was there to contribute something, but really learning so much more. In 1928, a small group of missionaries went to the emperor of Ethiopia at the time, Haile Selassie, and said, we would like to share the gospel, or reshare it in a sense, from all those years back when... um, when the Ethiopian eunuch had bought the gospel there. And so Haley Selassie gives permission to go to a certain place. They have documented. And they hire some guides and off they go. And it's like a week before they realize the guides have no idea where this place is. And the guides take off in the night. They're faced with this decision. We're in the wrong place. This is not how this is meant to go. What should we do? Should we try and go back? Should we give up and go home? Or should we just do it here? And they chose to do it there. And they labor for 10 years and there's 48 believers that they describe nominal as best and then they had to leave because the Italians were trying to invade Ethiopia. They were unable to stay. They had to go home. They prayed for those believers, not knowing when, when and if they'd ever get back to see what they would find. They did get back, and they found those 48 believers had grown into strong believers, 10,000 strong. They laboured and they equipped, and they worked with them again, and then sort of at the end of their Uh, work in life as it was, communism came through Ethiopia and for different reasons they had to leave again. And they thought, what will we find if ever, by the grace of God, we get to go back? And I was there in 2013. That denomination planted by a handful of people who had arrived in the wrong place and done it anyway. was 30 million strong. How many times, how many times do we say, if only, and we give up and we fall short, if only my life matched up to the book of Acts, what if it does? What if your life matches up a little bit more than expected? Have a think about Acts 28. They land in the wrong place at the wrong time with all kinds of trauma, and they say, how about we do it? there anyway and I know that Malta is not uh, full of people from the evangelical tradition I know that but to have 2,000 years later something like 99% of Malta say that I'm a Christian as a result of a shipwreck of a guy that landed in the wrong place on a ship that really shouldn't have been on anyway then what could be the impact of my life if I just did it anyway, for me, how do I re- resolve that tension? Well, for me, Acts one eight is. Can I have the next slide, please? The, the Acts one eight. Acts one eight has become a mantra, a, a a foundation stone for my life. All right, well then let me just come back to the basics. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What vehicle can I find practically that will help me connect with local ministry? And so I'm involved in church unity and that's some of the stuff that Megan was sharing about. And we've got a thing uh, coming up soon where we've got 19 groups of a church unity groups coming together for a lunch to discuss what it is that they're doing in shared work in their community. I find a vehicle that I can express that in and in cross-cultural ministry locally and nationally and internationally. And for me, because I can't live overseas. I sponsor children, I build a relationship with them, and that's ended up speaking up on behalf of them in all sorts of churches. I build a relationship through a mechanism I can to support and partner in the gospel through a way that's accessible to me because I don't want to get immobilized in saying, Well, I can't reach the world, therefore I'll give up. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, says Jesus. That word power, dunamis, the ability, or dunami, the root word, means to be able and have ability. How often do we read that into our own experience? But you will receive your own ability. Is that how we read it? You'll receive your own ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. All right, well, I seem pretty similar. So, maybe I should wait longer, but you will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Properly, the ability to perform. In the New Testament, for the believer, it means the power to achieve by applying the Lord's inherent abilities power through God's ability what if we could just rest back a little bit into God's ability? And what if we were to be able to say, God, would you use me to bring your gospel transforming power to the ends of the earth? And what if we were to erase the excuses and we were able to say, not in my ability, but in yours? And when you clearly direct I'll take a breath and then I'll follow. And of course, he clearly directs us at different times. But when he doesn't, I will use wisdom and common sense and I will keep going because this is my privilege and my call. Wouldn't that be an inspiring, adventurous life? I encourage you to read the book of Acts again, maybe with two sets of glasses on for yourself and see if you agree with my assessment. My son's standing out in the foyer just now. We do have a bunch of children from Indonesia, similar area to what you saw on the video at the beginning, where the gospel, in partnership with local churches, is reaching the most vulnerable in the world who are children, more likely to be in poverty, and more vulnerable to its effects. $48 a month, tax deductible. There's some other things you can do as well. Zach comes with me every week, not because he has to, but because he loves it and just seems to have the heart of God in him for that. So you can go and talk to him. Don't wait for an adult. He actually knows what he's talking about. What if, right now, you were positioned with enough resource, options, relationships, and potential to do exactly what God wanted with and through you in all of those locations, in all of those ways? What if? What would you be waiting for? Let's do it.